This Hope podcast brought to you by the Centre for Public Christianity, promoting the Christian faith in Australia's public media. Visit publicchristianity.org today. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. So what I got? Movies are dreams that you never forget. All right. Well, everybody, welcome to the watch list number 17, where we're looking at film through the lens of faith. Uh, this is Russ Matthews with Real Dialogue. And I'm Laura Bennett from Hope 103.2. Fantastic. And we have an interesting week this week because we're looking at two, I, I really think two great films, but very different films. And also one that has a lot of attention and one that probably hasn't been garnered a lot enough attention, I think. So it'll be interesting to see because as we look at Killers of the Flower Moon and also an amazing Garth Davis film that's coming out called Foe, and that's F-O-E, Foe. And so I'm looking forward to kind of talking about it, but I'm kind of curious before we get into this, because I know you're probably just waking up after being in the extended <laughs> screening that you just had to endure. Yeah. Um, not, not endure, I get it. It's, you know, it's Martin Scorsese. But still, so Martin Scorsese, is he somebody who's kind of played into your um, your kind of filmography, who you really enjoy? Is it somebody who you really look forward to seeing his next movie? Do you have a favorite, maybe? Look, he's I. it's one of those weird people for me because I respect him as an artist, but he's <laughs> not the filmmaker that makes the movies that I personally really enjoy. So when right. I watch a Martin Scorsese movie, I'm going, all right, I share the generation. We share this generation with somebody who is a brilliant creative mind, who makes films, who tells stories in a very unique, specific way. So I want to see what he has to do. Like you don't grow up alongside right. your Steven Spielbergs, et cetera, and not say – let me see how you do it because you're the person who is a creative genius in this era. So I right. respect him in that regard and I will like watch some of his movies in that way. But when I went to look at what he's made over the, the course of his many decade career, I realized that for as much conversation as we have about Martin Scorsese and as recognized as he is, I personally don't enjoy a lot of his movies. I went, oh, he made that one. Yeah, didn't really like that. Or, it's, or I look at it and go, oh, yeah, he's – no, these aren't the ones that I normally gravitate to. And interestingly, one of the movies that he's behind that I genuinely did personally really like is a more recent one back in 2020 called Pieces of a Woman that, oh, he, right. that he did that was a Netflix release. That one genuinely I thought this is wow. brilliant. But I hadn't connected the dots that he was involved in it until after I saw it. So that's kind of my take on Martin Scorsese. I respect him but I'm not – always personally on board all of his movies. There you go. Well, I'm glad that someone else is willing to be a little bit heretical within the whole film <laughs> genre because I Martin is, is amazing. He's an amazing, uh, going back, I mean, I can remember seeing Raging Bull, Goodfellas, and I didn't get to see Taxi Driver as a child, <laughs> thankfully, in cinemas. But probably a good idea it. not to. Yeah, yeah, probably not to. But again, I can really appreciate that. But interestingly enough, the only films that I watched multiple times of his are probably some of his less recognized ones, I guess. You know, I mean, Shutter Island was like one of my favorites. I thought mm. it was a brilliant suspense thriller. The Aviator, again, another Leonardo DiCaprio film. But the one that really our families watched numerous times is called Hugo. Yeah. Hugo was one that we really, really enjoyed. And it was kind of this montage to filmmaking and the beauty of filmmaking, but also seen through the eyes of a child. And mm. so uh, I we absolutely love that one. But I know that these aren't necessarily on the top 
top of the list of some of his greatest films. So it's going to be interesting just to kind of see then for kind of understanding that as we kind of mm-hmm. look at and go into this new film that's um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't know. Did you want to chat about it or would you like me to kind of introduce it? You can introduce this one. I just wanted to point out just how many movies he's done with Leonardo DiCaprio, though. Like, I wonder how much <laughs> of Leo's career is a credit to Martin Scorsese and vice versa, because they're back at it again with this one. An incredible cast alongside him, of course. But I do feel like there's something that clearly Leonardo DiCaprio brings to a lot of the Scorsese films. Yeah, well, it's actually you know, just been, they just released it this past that he's going to be the lead in his next film, which is based on this, the same author, um, David Grand's book. So he and Martin Scorsese are going to collaborate again on another one. So I believe that gets them up to like seven. Mm. But then uh, Robert De Niro, I mean, they, they've done like 10 or 11 films together. I mean, it's amazing. And I think one of the reasons I remember reading an interview with Martin about that specifically, just his saying that uh, there's people he trusts, people he likes, and he really thinks that they have a a similar view of cinema. Mm. And Leonardo and Robert De Niro kind of bridge that generational gap, I think, and really bring something to it. And I I do, I I look forward to kind of talking about Leonardo's um, role in this film, because it's very different for him. I mean, they kind of uglify him a little bit. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see what your thoughts are on this whole thing. But Killers of the Flower Moon is uh, written by David Gran in 2017. It was kind of given to Martin Scorsese as a book. And he loved this. And it's a fascinating story as it looks into the murders they're happening on the Osage Nation in Oklahoma in the, two, in the 1920s or so. And so Eric Roth is the screenwriter and actually brings in the story of Ernest and Molly Burkhardt, who played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and an amazing performance, I thought, from Lily Gladstone. As they navigate kind of this familial and racial difficulties that kind of happen within this community on the reservation, specifically in Oklahoma, primarily because they were... The Osage Nation was given this land, but it was worthless when it came to farming and all these different things. And the federal government gave it to them. But interestingly enough, under the surface, it was rich with oil deposits. And so they became one of the wealthiest populations or people groups in America. It wasn't just in that, just in the within the Native American community. It was actually in America. And so this fascinating interchange of those who were come from the First Nations background having all the wealth and those who are trying to get that from them. And this being specifically some of those others from the American background. So it's a really interesting story. I'd really love to hear what your thoughts were kind of traveling through this because it is three and a half hours long. It's quite a commitment to be able to kind of get to in cinemas, even though it will be coming out on Apple in probably the next few weeks. I would say it is worth, though, sitting in a cinema to watch it because, I mean, (laughs) behind the scenes truth of the story, my cinema experience watching it was very (laughs) disjointed and I was in a cinema where you had people walking in and out and they will in this because people have got to go to the bathroom, but you had like open doors and we could hear the other cinema. We could just, we could hear the chaos of the outside world while also watching this movie. So I had a little bit of a disconnected experience when watching it, but even with that there, you do need to be like sitting in that kind of dark room, big screen space so that you can be more absorbed in the story. I think it's really important because you're you're taken into a time of history that needs a little bit of attention. Like for me, and right. particularly not being from an American background at all, a lot of this history was new to me. I hadn't I hadn't heard this story before. And so you're kind of you're learning a historical context as well as watching a movie, as well as taking in the way that they've personified these different characters. So there's a lot in this movie that makes it worth watching in a cinema, I think, but right. but only if you can get that kind of 
quiet, isolated time to take it in. And just fair warning, yes, it is going to be acceptable to check your phone at, at at least like one or two <laughs> exactly. points and you're probably going to need the bathroom break. Yeah, I, I think that it definitely was exceptionally long. But I, it, Martin Scorsese even talks about the length aspect and all that um, in regards to the fact that it's still, it's all of the story. It's a massive story that needs to be told. Um, and it is better in a cinema just because it's made for that. It's mm. made for the big screen. And so to appreciate it, I, I felt that um, it was, you know, interestingly, I am from an American background, but I had not heard this story um, at all. So it was really fascinating for me to be able to go through and see a very different spin and take on kind of the Native American experience, specifically, especially being those that are coming from a wealthy background, but yet then how they were also kind of mistreated in so mm. many ways, especially this, these all these murders actually occurring on the reservation that meant then there wasn't actually the proper investigation to what was going on until mm. the federal government finally got involved. And so that in itself was interesting. But then to the performances, um, again, you can see why Martin Scorsese actually continues to work with Leonardo. But I thought Lily Gladstone was great. This kind of yeah. understated, very measured um, role that she played. She was the force really behind the whole film in mm. so many different ways. And even how she physically was mistreated in so many different, different ways in this film. So I thought that um, as far as leading it out with probably some of the more positive things and things worthwhile kind of engaging with it in cinema, I would say the performances are great. And Martin Scorsese definitely knows how to spin a yarn, as they would say. And yeah. so I think that he does a great job there. I mean, were the, what were some of the big talking points for you? What, what were some things that stood out for you? I think that's in the side where you're looking at the cultural conversations that they bring up. So it, it not not a negative in terms of what was portrayed on screen, but and. Like negative is maybe not necessarily the right way to look at, but just kind of the challenges, I guess, where you go in a modern day context, there's obviously a lot of conversations around how we treat Indigenous populations, how we look at the transfer of wealth across generations and all of this sort of stuff. And when you bring a time in history to life where attitudes were a bit different to what they are now or where things that are pushed back against now were at their height, watching that on screen being depicted by actors that you really respect and like you say Lily Gladstone and all this sort of stuff like some of the the things that Leonardo DiCaprio says in his character like you know it's his character and same with Robert De Niro but you just go my goodness it is so there's something so uncomfortable seeing some of the way these leading men leading characters leading voices in this movie spoke about some of the other people on screen the other cultures and stuff right. and I found that I mean it's kind of a bit of a um a shift anyway to see an Indigenous culture as those that are like that people are begging from them and all of these sorts of things like as wrong it, it's like it's hard to express because we're so used to seeing certain cultural groups represented as the leaders in society that when you see that flipped on its head it is right. a bit of a challenge to the audience to go Imagine, like, and this is true history, but it's like, imagine if the world looked a little different. Like, imagine if the people that we see in power weren't the people that we see in power and other people held that. If different cultural groups held that, what would that look like? And it, I think there's a conversation around that that's prompted through this movie. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think that that's actually a great way to kind of set it up and looking at it, especially because you're still looking at the human condition in so many ways that it doesn't matter as far as who kind of ends up being the, in the position of power, that many times that they actually are st still struggle to find what is right and what is wrong. I even found it interesting to even see kind of the depiction of even their faith 
um, because you kind of see the um, insertion of the Native American kind of positions of kind of looking at the earth and the value of that. But then also many of them were actually from a Catholic background or actually Mm. went to church on a regular basis. And that was even one of the kind of the sticking points at the initial meetup between Lily and Ernest was, what what is your faith? And, you know, they're kind of like going, I think I'm Catholic, you know, kind of that. (laughs) that But you don't show up at church. Like it Uh, is the actual old school flirt to convert happening right there. That's right, <laughs> totally. But uh, oh, but I, I, but also even the fact that going back to one of the things you brought up was uh, looking at even Leonardo DiCaprio. This is a good-looking guy who's been, you know, Academy Award winner, one who's been in so many great films um, over, you know, throughout history. But yet they really kind of downplay that aspect of it. I mean, and even kind of he's kind of a smarmy character really in so many ways even though lily gladstone's character is as regal and i really find really quite compelling he's kind of the opposite so it's going to be interesting to see how audiences really connect with the fact that he does kind of play kind of this kind of uh what what would you say um kind of morally fluid um, mm. character in so many different ways. Yeah, what, but I what, think, um, like, true friends, like, you've got your Titanic fans of Leonardo DiCaprio, right? <laughs> like, they're, they're just going to be, like, rusted on, love him for life kind of people. But then the people that have appreciated his acting over the years, like you mentioned Shadow Island and even The Departed and ones that he's done, like, he can, he's not, like... I I wonder what he personally actually thinks about this because he's probably always in some respect going to be like labelled according to his sort of Titanic, you know, thing. Sure. But it's like, and maybe this is only why he only recently won an Oscar, right? It's like he actually has a acting sort of gruff approach to the way he does things where he's like a really solid actor who likes he to is. have a go at these difficult characters and not the pretty, pretty kind of characters and all of that sort of stuff. It's like he's so much more than that. And I feel like he just keeps proving that. And I don't know if people fully appreciate it because they're like, oh, wow, this isn't Leo. But like it is. If you pay attention to what he's done for the last like decade, he kind of seems to be happier in that kind of space than some of the other sort of roles people might assume that he would like. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, but I mean, if you do look at it, if you do say look at The Revenant and all these other ones, I mean, he did definitely kind of get get down and get dirty, literally, in so many different ways. But then on, on top of it, too, I the thing I one of the things I love about looking at those that are regularly in Scorsese films, Robert De Niro always seems to lift um, mm. whenever he's in one of his films. Um, he he comes off as the true villain. I mean, I don't think it, it, you're hiding anything or spoiling anything by by saying that, but he is brilliant in this. And I felt like he just really connected with this character exceptionally well, even, even throughout the whole thing, you know, even though he was king really of that area, um, that he in a way he was really just delved into it and really grasped it. And so I think it's all of that. I mean, it's not just one or two characters. It's, they really brought in yeah. an amazing cast and really was a, really immersed you mm-hmm. in this world and really helped you kind of take it through. I'm going to argue that I don't know if it needed to be three and a half hours long. Oh, I think, no. no. No, no. I think, like, for me, Oppenheimer, I actually was like, okay, I, I, I made it. I mean, I think I was like, <laughs> going, okay, three hours. Not that I want to watch it over and over and over again, but mm-hmm. I thought I was in it. This one, I'm like going... 
Uh, Marty, I think maybe, maybe we could have cut a little bit here and really yeah. made it a little bit more accessible. Mm-hmm. And it'll probably mean that some people will wait till it comes out on streaming before they actually engage with it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, is it one that you would, you would put on the top of your list, um, for the year? Uh, is it a cat? Is it like an Academy Award nominee? What do you think? Look, I think some of the performances could easily like earn an award and, and maybe like, Maybe there's filmmaking recognition in there in some respects, but I don't. It's not one of my top movies for the year. I just think there's stronger. I think stronger stories have been told. There's like Oppenheimer. If I had to pick between, you know, the three hour or so movies that have been available, like Oppenheimer definitely for me comes before this one. And I do think though, like that said, it takes it takes something as as a director to be able to even like approach a project that's going to be as long as this one was and hold people's attention and develop a story over that time frame. And so there's certainly some something to be said for the way that Martin Scorsese and his team are able to do that. Like you do, there are there are moments where you're really with it and they're building the tension and like it's like a well-written piece of music that's going to have ebbs right. and flows to keep you listening. But I don't know that it did it to the point where it needed to be that long, but the performances were great. And some of the, you know, conversations it brings up are really worth, I think, tackling. Oh, I think so. I think I think that that's what really stood out for me too. I think it's the performances. If Lily Gladstone doesn't win, I have a feeling that she will. Oh, she I think should. Leonardo's been there. I think Martin's been there. I think they've gotten for some of their better roles, even though this was a great role for Leonardo DiCaprio. I think that he really did a great job with, as well as Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm with you. I probably would say that some of the, the discussion points on marriage, on a house divided. I think that's who do you trust mm. and who do you allow into your house and who do you allow to influence your your life is is just a huge topic. Yeah, I mean, and grief you, as well. Grief was massive in there. I mean, just heartbreaking. And that's probably where Martin Scorsese takes it to the next level in regards to really showing that that side of it. But then on top of it, how something the justice. I mean, just mm. how can justice be done um, when such atrocities uh, uh, have occurred? And and I think that that's where we we do have solutions in what we can see in the Bible and even what we can see and understand from uh, God's story and looking at justice can prevail. Um, but really, unfortunately, sometimes man doesn't always get that right. Yeah, it's very well said. It's very well yeah. said. So we'll see. Yeah. If if uh, any of you uh, decide to watch it, you'll have to give us your thoughts and tell us Please. tell us how you went with not just the length of the movie, but yeah, the whole experience of it. Yeah, yeah. I think definitely. Would you put it on your in your top 10 list if you even got along to see it and you were able to make it all the way through um we'd love to know if you'd make it on your top 10 list because i think mm. that uh, martin scorsese kind of sets a whole standard i mean you can see over the over the past few years he's definitely um definitely kind of come out saying he's really kind of coming up against what we have in our modern cinemas as far as kind of taking on the marvel and all these these various things but yeah. i do i do love the fact that he loves cinema he Mm. loves the voice that it gives and i think that he really provides that for us so i think yeah i'm with you it probably wasn't my one of my top tens (laughs) but it definitely was a great one as far as performances and also discussion points yeah yeah so now but the one i think that both of us are sitting here we're both right antsy sitting on our seats going i want to talk about the next movie which is fascinating because it's probably not going to get nearly the recognition that um killers of the flower moon did but 
Garth Davis is about to release a film called Foe, which is F-O-E, Foe. And I don't know, if you'd like to kind of set this one up, yeah. Laura, what are your thoughts? And I can't wait to hear what you think, because I think both you and I have seen it a couple times now. Mm-hmm. And actually, we've gotten to hear from the director. So I'm looking forward to kind of hearing some personal insights on this one. Yeah. So Garth Davis, he directed Lion. He also directed Mary Magdalene. He did a TV show called Top of the Lake. He's an Aussie guy. He's he's filmmaking, his TV making up to this point has just been outstanding. I really respect him. I love his career. But in Foe with uh, Paul Mescal starring in it, also Saoirse Ronan, two Irish actors, kind of incredible that they got paired together on this one, which wasn't entirely intentional. He said it was just like, you're the best, you're the best. And now we have these two Irish people playing Americans. It's great. <laughs> but in the, in the story, they're a married couple whose relationship is feeling a little fragmented, they've started to become less grateful for one another and they're presented with this opportunity. Uh, It's set in 2065, so well into the future, although kind of near future, I suppose, where Earth is sending individuals to go and start the population of Mars. So set out, they go, they venture into Mars and leave family behind as they try to build this new... uh, community, essentially. And so in the context of Hen, who is played by Sersha, and her husband, Junior, played by Paul, they get the invitation to go, but it's not both of them. It's only Junior. And so right. they have to decide as a couple whether whether they're okay with that, realizing one's going to be left behind. But then also, as Hen is left behind, she is going to be part of uh, a, a sort of development project around artificial intelligence. So she won't be left with like a brand new robot. She could be left with a version of Junior that is artificial intelligence. And so there's kind of that prospect there and they have to decide how comfortable they are with the idea of not only leaving each other, but then also embracing AI into their household. And what's interesting is it, it sounds like the setup sounds like a, a, a Philip K. Dick book, you know, like a Blade Runner or something like that. But it is not. I mean, this is, I don't know about you, but I really felt that this was really more, less about AI and a dystopian future, even though it's set in the Midwest is where I grew up, even though I could tell it was definitely filmed in Australia. But <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. But as much as it was less about the AI and dystopian future as it was really talking about humanity and what it is to be human and also the value of marriage and personal relationships. What are are your thoughts? Well, it's great that you point that out because I know from some of the stuff that Garth said about this movie, the relationship is what drew him in because it's written, it's um, taken from a book that was written prior to the film being released. That was the inspiration for Garth taking this on. And it was the relationship in that that he said really stood out to him. And I I actually really loved that this is where the movie went, that they focused on the relationship and AI kind of being a supplement to that. Because when we think about artificial intelligence and technological developments and all of this sort of stuff, it's like we have to understand it in relation to how it affects humans. Like it's being introduced into our world. It's being introduced into a context that's going to affect us. Like what does it mean to be human when you put artificial intelligence, artificial consciousness into something else? It affects humans' understanding of ourselves and the way that we then relate to each other. So I really liked that the discussion of artificial intelligence in some respects is housed in the dynamic of a marriage relationship, which in Hen and Junior's case, you know, as we've said, it's like they're starting to not appreciate each other. They're, things are starting to unravel. And right. there is a real importance in analyzing why, trying to understand why humans can become that way, why relationships can seem to stale. But they don't, like, 
it's not so bogged down in that that there's not moments mm. of sort of uplift, but it's that dynamic between the two that is more central to this story. It is. Well, you know, and, and that's probably one thing it would be, we'd have to be careful to get to that. It's just about, you know, the, the two of them and then just their relationship. It's also brilliant filmmaking um, and storytelling because there's always throughout it, because I will not give away, spoil it because there's a couple of significant twists that occur, but yet um, you, you're always a little off center throughout most of the film there's always something there always seems to be something that you're aware of that's going on that you're kind of wondering okay who what's what's happening here especially as they introduce the terrence character which he he represents the government he's um aaron pierre is actually the actor which i found he was a great foil because you couldn't quite tell if he was good mm. or bad if he really had the best intentions for this couple or not and that's but he's the plays into that kind of futuristic oh. Uh, sort of those kind of movies, like the sci-fi side of this movie comes out in that what's going on, what is brewing here kind yeah, of feeling. So they're definitely bubbling in the background, as you would say. And so I thought that that's where I, I really found that I love this film. And after, after it kind of concluded, I was like, going, that was so satisfying. But yeah, mm. man, I couldn't stop thinking about this film. And uh, also even how they wove in the beauty of music and how music uh, really plays such a major part of the human experience, not only just in some of the soundtrack, but even her playing um, in the in the whole film as far as the piano and all, along those lines. I thought it just did a great job. I thought Garth Davis really captured this story, but drew me in. And it, but. I think if you go in thinking that it's a sci-fi film, you're going to be disappointed. It's mm. definitely not like the creator. It's not like the other films, like, like I mentioned, like no. Blade Runner and all those other films that are dealing more with the sci-fi side. This is really mm. dealing more with the human experience and really well-crafted storytelling that um, went beyond my expectation. Yeah. I really enjoyed this film and highly recommend that anybody gets out to see this. It's like a, it's um, a drama. It's a drama with a sci-fi storyline. Right. Sort of right. thing. Because it's not, yeah, like it's definitely drama first. It just happens to house that in a very futuristic narrative. Right. Now, it, it probably should be said that it, there is some mature content in this, and it's primarily they're a married couple. And so there's an expression, there's expressions of that in their physical relationship. It also even says some of the dialogue that they have between one another. So it is, this isn't necessarily one to be taking the whole family out to go see, but it is one definitely for those who really enjoy a well told story and a mature content um, would really enjoy. Mm. Uh, getting along to and seeing now in your interviews, cause I I'm, I'm assuming we'll be able to kind of hear maybe your interview with Garth Davis in the future. So we'll be able to talk about that maybe at the end, but in your interview with Garth, was there anything that kind of surprised you about what he had to say about the making of the film or even the reading or the translation of the book? Yeah. I might try to tack on a little bit of the interview on this podcast if I can, but the, the, or if I don't, just so you know, you will be able to hear it on hope and we'll make sure it's available for you. But I think hearing some of the behind the scenes context of this movie is, is almost like vital for you to fully appreciate it. So it's like, you need to, it's like stepping back for a minute. This movie is definitely one that is made as a piece of art. Like it's not just, it's not just a story. It's not just a movie to consume. It's almost like a little ecosystem of itself where you've got the book, you've got the movie, you're probably going to need to see the movie twice to fully experience the creativity and the cleverness of what they've done. And then you want to go and listen to some of the interviews that Garth did so that you can like peel back 
the layers of what's going on and some of the bigger discussions. Because one of the things that he really said that I thought was really profound in a way was when you're considering like aspects of this movie that relate to what the future is going to look like, the fact that it's set in such a sparse environment. I I did ask him, you know, why are these kind of movies always – it's never in a rainforest. Like, you know, we're never in a rainforest looking at robots and artificial intelligence. It's always some like barren, bleak view of the future. And there's a thread within the movie that does hint at the idea that our our earth needs our attention, that there's some Mm. kind of care that has to be given so that the future doesn't look like that. So it's very subtle, but there is kind of that uh, within it as well. And he also spoke about really sort of intelligently, as you would expect, this idea of where we understand consciousness to come from. As we start to talk more about artificial intelligence, how do we define consciousness and what would it mean for these kind of human-made beings to have a level of feeling and who is responsible right. for that. You know, if we make if we make these things that have a level of consciousness, are we ethically responsible for what they then experience? in their, you know, journey on earth, if you want to look at it like that. And that thread is kind of in there too. But then also from a relationship perspective, Garth really wanted to sort of, what's the word? Drill home. He wanted to run home, whatever that phrase is that I'm not getting right. cliche. He wanted to point out the fact that in relationships, we can become so ungrateful and that we can almost sort of fall asleep in a way that limits our ability to connect with people, to see the beauty and the joy of the people that are in in front of us. And there's almost that message of, you know, our need to appreciate one another and to not, you know, be so consumed with everything in our life that allows us to detach from reality, the kind of fake versions of things, the artificial versions of things, that we stop embracing the meaning and importance of the real. And, oh, it's so good. Like, I genuinely... This is one of my favourite movies of the year. And I know it won't be everybody's cup of tea. Well, stop. Yeah, and I know there's people that have said this is the worst movie they've seen of the year. Like I have heard the full spectrum of reviews already about this film. But for me personally, I thought these guys have nailed it. Like the acting is incredible. The story is incredible. Garth is incredible. And I know I'm talking it up, but I hope you enjoy it. I hope so too. I mean, because I one of because I we do kind of probably need to wrap up the conversation. But one of the things I really enjoyed about what he was talking about, one thing he did was that he went off with Sir Ronan and Paul, and they went off into a house out in the middle of the kind of out in the middle of the bush in a way, and just got to know one another as creatives, but also allowing for them to kind of even build into their relationship um, as far as as a couple. And the beauty of their relationship, even though it was definitely strained and there were difficulties and also there were there especially adding in that whole element that he's going to be going away for some time Mm. and they're going to put this other um thing as it were into their lives but yet i i just really loved how they touched on the human heart in a way that i haven't really seen expressed quite this way and then also just the, the level of emotions um, they just kind of it just points back to so much of what we can understand and see in the the creation account and what we can actually understand from the Bible and the value of marriage and the value of relationships and our need for one another as well as for God. And so I, I just really appreciated this film and I'm right there with mm-hmm. you. I, this one goes at the top of my watch list. Interestingly enough, even though we're f- reviewing Killers of the Flower Moon first, <laughs> I would probably put Foe well above that as far as one of my favorite films yeah. of the year. And I think so. something I really enjoy about it as well. And maybe this is just my changing taste as a 
film reviewer and just general consumer is that I really enjoyed the simplicity of it. Like it's so, it's a very profound movie, but in in this era or age that where we have like so many big noisy movies and these long movies and these epic movies and all of that sort of stuff, like Faux has said more that I feel like is culturally significant and relationally significant than so many of those other movies in a shorter time frame with less going on and it's like just delivered this really thought-provoking, peaceful kind of thing and it just drops it there for you and it stirs a lot of thought. Like it's Oh yeah. This this to me is a movie that shows the power of intelligent simplicity in filmmaking more than all the bells and whistles that have their place and that I will enjoy on, you know, on a good day as well. But I just think there's a certain taste and experience that this movie caters for that has I've really missed and I didn't realize I missed it until I watched it. Yeah, yeah that's, great. that's a great way of putting it. Also, even in our discussion about the fact that it was actually as good, if not better, the second time. Yeah. Because I, you would think that with some of the twists that would kind of take away from the experience, but actually, no, it mm. made it richer because all of a sudden you're seeing things that you hadn't seen the yeah. first time. It around. opens up a second movie. Oh, it is. It's just it's just really great. So, all right. So, watch list definitely for both of us. I think Foe is there. As far as just to kind of finish it off, Killers of the Flower Moon. Does this go on your watch list for the year? Uh, it goes on the watch if you can stream it at home and have <laughs> snacks handy, or if you can go in a cinema, you know, is going to let you like fully be absorbed in it. I think that's right. that's kind of the two ways I would accept this movie on the watch list. Yeah, the watch list for me, it, it definitely, it comes down to the craft and looking at if you really want to see some great performances and you really want to see Martin Scorsese um, in his element. It's kind of quintessential Scorsese in so many different ways, but definitely not one that I'm going to want to go see over and over again or probably again. But I think that it's worthwhile seeing um, for the art form. So yeah. we come to the end. And so subscribe again. Just make sure you're subscribing to the podcast and also you can get um, our reviews and also other podcasts at Hope 103.2 as as well as reading the reviews at realdialogue.com. And also, so where we're going to be able to maybe see this interview with Garth Davis, will it be on this video or maybe somewhere else? Yeah, so we'll be able to, there'll be a link from this video, no doubt, to the Garth Davis interview, so you can watch that afterwards. And if you don't catch it there, it will be on the Hope1032 website, which is hope1032.com.au. Well, great. Well, we're at the end of our episode, and until next time, get out to the cinema, enjoy a good movie, maybe have some popcorn, and then join us for the chat on the next episode of The Watchlist. This Hope podcast brought to you by the Centre for Public Christianity. Does the future feel uncertain to you? Overwhelming even? Apparently we're lonelier and more anxious than ever. Whatever happened to hope? This year, CPX is rediscovering hope with clinical psychologist Lisa Aitken, who'll give a public lecture in Perth on October 26 and Sydney on November 1. Tickets at publicchristianity.org. Come along. We need all the hope we can get.